want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible, take one. It's yours. Only one condition. You read it, okay? So it's yours to give. We give the Word of God away free. So if you need a Bible, that Bible is yours to take with you. But reading in Luke chapter 19, we read, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, that is the multitude, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also is a son of Abraham. In verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Last time as we concluded chapter 18, Jesus would perform his last major miracle before he ascends up to Jerusalem for the last week of his life. He's only days away from going to the cross. And we see here that as he comes near Jericho in the Jordan Valley there, Last week we saw that amazing story as blind Bartimaeus, the one who's on the side of the road. Remember that the roads are jammed with travelers as the Passover feast is near. People are traveling and they would come through the Jordan Valley up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. The road also would be jammed with travelers as caravans would be going from northern Africa through Israel, through the Jordan Valley, up to Syria and to proconsular Asia. So it's a very busy place. And and here is Bartimaeus, who is begging by the side of the road. He hears this multitude that is coming and that Jesus of Nazareth is in that crowd. He begins to yell out, Jesus, son of David, which is a messianic term, have mercy on me. And they said, be quiet, pipe down, shush, we don't want to hear from you. And he yelled out all the more. He, He would have tenacity in yelling, Son of David, have mercy on me. And finally, somebody comes to him and says, The master is calling you. Arise and be of good cheer. And so they would lead Bartimaeus there. How long? We don't know. To Jesus where someone would let go of his hand and he's standing before the creator of the universe. And Jesus, as he heard the words of our Lord, say, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, My sight. And you see, Bartimaeus received a miracle. His eyes were open immediately, but it was more than just seen physically. He saw spiritually as he began to follow Jesus. He became a believer. The, the multitude marveled and they glorified God. Now as we move into chapter 19, we see that Jesus enters and passes through Jericho. And what we're going to read today in our passage, as we just read it, is that Jesus is going to have his last interaction with an individual before he ascends to Jerusalem as far as anyone coming to him. Keep in mind, as we discussed last week, that Jericho, only about 20 miles from Jerusalem in the Jordan Valley, the lowest place on the face of the earth, 
1,300 feet below sea level. It is warm there all year long. It is the Palm Springs of the ancient world. There was a lot of people that had moved into Jericho during this time. It was Herod the Great who built a winter resort there. And also, it is believed that there was a, a colony of priests and Levites that lived there as well. So it's, there's a lot of travelers coming through. There's a lot of people. The population for Jericho, they believe 2,000 years ago, is bigger than what the city is today. 2,000 years ago, it was 100,000 people plus that lived in Jericho or around Jericho. There was the ancient city of Jericho where the walls came down. It was cursed. There was a small population there. And then there was a new Jericho that was rebuilt by the Romans, by Herod the Great, where a lot of people lived and stayed and would come out to stay in the winter, a resort, as I mentioned. Jericho was famous for its balsam trade. Balsam was a sap that had a great scent, and they would export it to other regions from Jericho. Jericho is in the desert where this desert, they turned it into a place that was lush. Sycamore trees would line the pathways, the walkways, the, the streetways there in Jericho. And the sycamore tree was more of a species of a fig tree, had large leaves, just a, a very lush tree. This is a warm place, tropical warm place. Today it is known, Jericho, if you go there for growing some of the the best fruit in the world is grown there in Jericho. And because it is desert, what the Israelis have done is they have uh, advanced technology and drip irrigation. Absolutely amazing how they've turned that desert into an oasis. How there's palm trees that grow. There is date trees that grow. There is uh, oranges, you know, orange groves and grapefruit groves and vineyards. Absolutely amazing how green it is because of the drip irrigation system that they have perfected. So it's a big agricultural area even as we speak. So here, Luke, as he's writing 2,000 years ago, he uses that word in verse 2 as we read, behold. He uses that in saying to you and to me, pay attention, this is important. And he records this story about a man named Zacchaeus. And it's a story that I've already mentioned that if you've been in you know, children's ministry, grew up in children's ministry or in Sunday school as a child, you know about him. There's a well-known children's song uh, that would be sung perhaps in, in children's ministry that Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And we picture him as a wee little man smiling and he's just kind of a, a nice man in all of this. Well, I can be pretty certain to say that he wasn't that way at all. That we have talked about in our previous studies the reputation and the character of tax collectors. He would be considered a scoundrel according to his fellow countrymen. We know that he is Jewish because he has a Jewish name, Zacchaeus. That Jewish name means one who is innocent and pure. And he's short in stature, but he is big in his reputation as a tax collector because not only is he a tax collector, Luke tells us here he is the chief tax collector <coughs> and that he was rich. You see, he didn't grow up being innocent or pure. We've talked about how the tax collector who... Uh, would get their position by buying that position of a tax collector from the Roman authorities. You see, they would then be employed by Rome, working for Rome. They would be working for the emperor of Rome. And as they did that, Rome would tax the people in a certain area per capita. 
That is, there was a head count. And according to the population of an area, and also according to the travelers that were moving through, and there's a lot of travelers that are moving through this main route that would come through Jericho, and the trading that is being done, they would tax the people based on that. And so the Romans were determined to make sure that the people paid their taxes. And those tax collectors had the Roman soldiers that would be available to them to shake somebody down and to really, you know, do them in and, and, and to really force them to pay those taxes. So here was that tax rate based on how many people passing through, how many lived there, over 100,000, many more traveling through every year, and they would sell that position of a tax collector. It would be sold to the highest bidder. So, for example, Matthew, known as Levi, Jesus would then change his name to Matthew, up in Capernaum, the next major station, is that trade route would go through the Jordan Valley up to the Sea of Galilee, go through Capernaum. You can see that major Roman road even today. We chose some of the people in our last trip that you can see the cobblestone that is there that people pass through. And it was Levi, Matthew, who had that tax station there. And they were given a certain amount of, of a quota by the Romans what they were to raise in that area. Now, the taxes that they did raise didn't go directly back to the city. It didn't go back to the area. It didn't go to the schools. It didn't go to the parks, you know, to build parks or infrastructure or anything like that. It went directly to the Romans. Now, if the Romans came along and wanted to, to build up the infrastructure or to, you know, make the place, you know, where they built streets and stuff, they would do that, but only to their own interest. They didn't do it for the interests of the Jews. So you bid on that station being a tax collector. If you got it, you got a general salary, which was pretty good by the Romans. But here's the thing. That quota that you had to raise in that area, only known by you and the Roman authorities, anything that you raised above that quota, that you get to kept. You get to keep for yourself. And so generally it was known that tax collectors were rich, they were dishonest. They cheated the books and all of that. You might recall that the tax collectors, as we saw earlier in Luke's gospel, they came out to the Jordan River and, and they said to John, what must we do? And he said, listen, that don't take more than what is appointed for you. The Talmud, which was a Jewish source, said that it was permissible to lie to a tax collector because the Jews had strong feelings about how unjust and dishonest tax collectors were. And so those who were, and by the way, I would not suggest that for you to do that, okay? <laughs> but those tax collectors that were Jews, they were seen as being traitors, hated by their countrymen. How could you do that? How could you gather taxes, be dishonest for the emperor of Rome? You're a traitor. They were looked down upon, seen as scoundrels, devious. And this is Zacchaeus, not only a tax collector, he is the chief tax collector, which means that he is over a big area. He has a number of tax collectors under him, and he would be skimming from all of them. You see, don't picture him as a wee little man. I think that more than anything, for those of us who are older, Picture him as like Danny DeVito, you know, those of us who, who know him and watch some of his movies, the character that he plays. 
Maybe you saw a taxi, you know, he's in the cage and everybody hates him. And so picture him as that. I think that's what his name means in the Latin. So here is here's Zacchaeus. Here he is in Jericho, and he's sitting on a gold mine with all the population and all the travelers. No doubt he has a very nice home in Jericho. He would be greatly despised, looked down upon, hated by the people. And the people would complain, as we read in verse 7, when Jesus would go to his house. And I want us to keep in mind that as we go through this text, that that's the way that he was seen in the eyes of the people, despised, hated, looked upon, held out at arm's length, didn't care about him. But to the eyes of Jesus, he's a lost sinner that he desires to save. And we need to keep in mind that's how Jesus sees others, that we may look down upon and despise and hold out at arm's length. And we picture the scene here, Zacchaeus thinking, I need to see Jesus. Uh, I know how I can seek him. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to climb a tree. And I'm going to seek him and see who he is. When the truth is that Jesus sought him and stopped and, and addressed him. Verse 3, he sought to see Jesus, who he was, but could not. Verse 4, so he ran. Now, understand in this culture, it would be very unusual for a man to run, especially someone of his status. Men didn't run. And the clothing that they wore and the robes that they wore, he's wearing probably expensive robes, you know, Roman robes. I don't know. But I think that he's pushing his way through the crowd. He's busy. All these travelers are coming through. He should be at his tax collecting station or going to the other guys that are working for him. He wants to see Jesus, perhaps hearing that he's moving through the area. He is short in stature. He can't see anything, so he begins to run down the street. He's like a kid that's following a parade. And as verse 3 declares to us, again, Luke writes, he sought to see who Jesus was. So much so, he's running and willing to climb up into a tree. That's what a child does, not the chief tax collector. Men, how long has it been since you climbed a tree you know, I used to climb trees all the time. I grew up in eastern Kansas. There was trees all over the neighborhood. I climbed every one of those trees. I'd be up in a tree. I'd fall out of the trees. We climbed trees all the time. But I haven't climbed a tree for decades. He is showing more of a childlike character here. But remember that Jesus said in the previous chapter that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. You see, Jesus is not saying that we have to be childish. He's saying that we're to be childlike. Coming in humility and dependency to the Lord like a child would. And here's Zacchaeus showing the childlike characters of, of desiring to see the Lord, humbling himself. I'm going to run, even though it's not dignifying, you know, to, for a man of my stature to do that. I'm going to climb up into a tree. It's like seeing a guy in a $100 suit with a, you know, or a $1,000 suit and a $100 tie doing that. I want to see Jesus of Nazareth. I want to see who he is. And why is Zacchaeus wanting to do that? Could it be that he just heard about Bartimaeus receiving his sight? Could it be that he has heard that Jesus was a friend of sinners? It could be very likely, most probable, that Zacchaeus knew of Matthew, who held that station up in Capernaum. And it's reasonable to suggest that Zacchaeus had heard about how Matthew had left everything to follow this one, Jesus of Nazareth. This prophet 
who's working mighty miracles. And the other tax collectors are saying that he talks with us and he shares with us. And we hear him gladly as Mark's gospel declares. He is the only one that will do that. No one else cared for the tax collectors. No one cared for Zacchaeus. No one cared for him. And again, we need to keep that in mind. That the person that is looked down upon and despised is loved by the Lord. He was going to go to Jerusalem in a few short days beyond that cross to die for his sins. And verse 10 is the theme of Luke's gospel that we've read before, that the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. All one-syllable words, easy to understand. I want to see who this Jesus is. He runs ahead of the crowd. He climbs up into a sycamore tree, a beautiful type of fig tree, and a tree that lined the streets. Unusual for him. It'd be like Fourth of July, the Greeley Stampede. If you see somebody in expensive suit, a man run down the street ahead of the parade and he climbs up into a tree. You don't see that. At least I haven't seen that. And Zacchaeus is wanting to do this. This was nothing to him. And I suggest that Zacchaeus had climbed all of his life to get ahead. I'm going to outrun and I'm going to outclimb everybody else so I can be the chief tax collector. And perhaps when he was growing up, as he's short of stature, maybe they made fun of him. Maybe people looked down on him and he said, I'm going I'm to prove myself that I'm a big man. I'm going to climb my way, outrun everyone else in life. I'm going to look down on everyone else in life. But I think that deep down in his heart, he realizes that I don't measure up and I have no friends and I have not been pure and innocent like my name means and he is the last person that anyone in the crowd would expect Jesus to talk with and stay at his house. If Jesus was going to stay at anybody's house there in Jericho, certainly it's going to be that colony of priests and Levites that were there. He's going to stay with them. We don't know exactly why Zacchaeus is so determined to see Jesus. That is left to us. Maybe because of your own experiences in life. And maybe before you surrendered your life to Christ, that you, in your heart, you knew you had success, but you were empty. That you had money, but I'm bankrupt. I'm living life to where I'm trying to get ahead, but I'm so lonely. And I am tired of the frustration and the phoniness that I face every single day. Maybe that's been your experience. Or maybe, just maybe, as I look out and I know that this building is full today in a coffee shop, that it is overflowing, that somebody is here, that maybe you're experiencing those kinds of thoughts right now. That I came here because I want to know who Jesus is. I want to see him more clearly. And you may be here feeling those kinds of feelings 
that there is something inside of you that is empty, just as Solomon, as we've seen in the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes, who had everything. He says, anything that I desired, that I received. He had it all, all the money, all the women, all the building projects, the popularity, the the knowledge that he had, and he said it's all emptiness because he was looking at it apart from that closeness with the Lord. And he said, it's vanity. And there's nothing new under the sun. It's mundane. It's routine. He's empty inside. And this week we're going to see he's going to come to a conclusion. And that is to fear God, to walk with him, to know him. Maybe you're here because you want to know who Jesus is. And he's here in this place and he looks into your heart. And he says, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Because here's the truth that a lot of us know that none of us measure up. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. There is none that is righteous, the Bible declares. And that's why Jesus came to die for you. That's why he died for your sins and he rose again. And he's seeking you out to save you, that you might have forgiveness of sin and not come into religion, but relationship with him and the Father, that you might know him. You were made to worship him. You were made for his good pleasures. There's something inside of you innately that God has put for you to have closeness with him. And that's what's going to bring satisfaction and fulfillment in your life. So Zacchaeus, he's up in that tree in the crowds and Jesus is getting closer. And again, verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. And I imagine the crowd, as it gets closer, Jesus comes right to the place where Zacchaeus is and he stops. And Zacchaeus initially is probably thinking, man, I picked the right tree. This is the right place for me to be. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks up at him. And when Jesus looked up, you know, everybody else looked up. One way to distract people is look up in the sky and everybody else will be looking up there, right? And I imagine what were the people thinking when they saw Zacchaeus up there in that tree? They're probably thinking, that dirty rat, what's he doing up there? They're probably gathering rocks to throw at him. (laughs) I think Jesus, though, looked at him with a look of love. And I just suspect that Jesus smiled at him. And Zacchaeus, they see looking down, everybody's looking up at him. And I, I wonder if he thought, I'm embarrassed. I'm such a fool. I shouldn't have done this. I would have loved to have seen the reaction on his face when Jesus looked up at him. But here's the thing. I don't think he was thinking that at all. I don't think he was listening to the snickering and the grumbling of the people because his eyes were on Jesus. And I just want to say to us that there are people that will look down at us or come down on us, despise us, grumble against us because we're believers in Jesus Christ. Listen, you keep your eyes on him. You keep your eyes on the Lord. And here Jesus says his name, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. Jesus, he knew Zacchaeus' name and he knows your name. He knows where you're at. He knows your struggles. He knows your heart. And he says, come down. Quit trying to climb and run your way through life. 
and I must stay in your house. The King James says that I might abide in your house as the meaning of dwell. Uh, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian elders in chapter 3, that you may know that Christ dwell in your heart through faith, that he dwells in our hearts, makes himself, literally it means at home in our hearts through faith. And in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus writing a letter to the church of Laodicea says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. It's amazing how our Lord sees us and he sees you and he knows your name. He dwells in our hearts by faith. He says, abide in me and my love. And there may be some of you here that he's knocking on the door of your heart. And he wants you to open up the door of your heart and surrender your life to him. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And that phraseology says that he continually knocks. And you're the only one that can open up the door to your heart. Because he will not force his way into your life. And as you open up the door of your heart, he wants to come in and save you and forgive you, to be your Lord and to dine with you. It speaks of fellowship. There are some of you that are here that he's knocking on the door of your heart just to be able to spend some time with you, to fellowship with you. He wants to dine with you. He wants to be with you. Isn't that amazing? Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Zacchaeus probably almost fell out of that tree. So he made haste and he came down, verse 6, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all complained, again grumbled, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Catch the scene here, Zacchaeus. He comes scrambling out of the tree. Uh, Yes, Jesus, Yeshua, come to my house. You know, let's go. And the crowds are grumbling and murmuring. And why him? Now, there is some time between verses 7 and 8. As Jesus would go to his house, he said, I must stay at your house, probably at least for dinner, probably stayed overnight. Jesus would spend time with Zacchaeus, talk with him. I wonder what they talked about. I wonder what the conversation was about. And then in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Fold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Listen, as we consider this, if the Lord would come to your house today, and he will. And he wants to sit with you and dine with you. And he does. What would he say to you? What would he say to you? Stop running. Stop running away. Come near to me and walk with me. He might say, stop climbing. I want to spend time with you. We get so distracted with the cares of life and we get so busy with things, we don't have time to spend with him and listen to him and dine with him and read his word and listen to his voice and we end up missing out. He might say, quit trying to prove yourself. We try to measure up and and we think that, Lord, you don't want to spend time with me because I don't measure up. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I should be. And it seems like that I've just been away from you for so long. I've been so distracted with other things, so involved in the things of the world, been struggling with this sin, whatever it is. And he says to you, come. 
that I want to dine with you. I want to work in your life. I want to save you if you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ. In a few days from now, there's going to be Greeks in Jerusalem that are going to come to the, to the disciples of Jesus and said that we wish to see Jesus. And Jesus' response to them is, if they want to see me, they must see me in the light of my death and burial and resurrection. And know this, that Jesus died because he loves you so much. Fathers on this Father's Day, we love our children, don't we? And our Heavenly Father loves you so much that he was willing to give his son up to go through suffering and tremendous torture that we cannot fully understand, being beaten and flogged and hung on a cross, crucifixion, where we get our word excruciating pain, to go through to pay the price for your sins. And he rose from the grave, which validates what he did on the cross and proves that he's the son of God who conquered sin and death. No one else has done that for you. Only Jesus. And only Jesus, the only one that could do that for you, the perfect Lamb of God, who took your sins upon you. And the Father gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life because he wants you in heaven with him. And he desires to have relationship with you. And Zacchaeus hears Jesus as he went to his house. He gets saved. And you can see that, that Zacchaeus comes to saving faith that's the reference here, by the way, in verse 9. He's now a son of Abraham because, note takers, Galatians chapter 3. Paul makes the case that the descendants of Abraham, verse 7 of chapter 3 of Galatians, look at it later, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. For Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Zacchaeus was a physical descendant of Abraham, the Jews were, but a true son of Abraham was one who came to faith in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, the religious leaders are arguing with Jesus, and they said, well, Abraham is our father. And he says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. What was that? Faith. Believe in God. Believe in the one whom the Father has sent. And Zacchaeus has a new heart, and he says, I'll give away half my goods. Unlike the rich young ruler in the previous chapter that was told by Jesus, give away your goods. He was very rich and come follow me. And he went away sorrowfully. Now someone might say, well, he told the rich young ruler to give all his goods away. Here's Zacchaeus voluntarily with joy. He says, I'll give half my goods. Well, then he says that I'll give fourfold to anyone who I've cheated, which was probably a lot of people. There's the other half. There's a big difference here. And it was 15 years before this time that in Jericho the walls literally fell down. And now here it is, Zacchaeus in Jericho, and the wall has fallen down again. The wall that was around his heart that said that I can run and climb over everyone else, and it's all about me, to where life was about riches and possessions and power and success. That was his God. And now it is laid down at the feet of our Lord as you are seeing here a camel passing through the eye of a needle. Salvation has come to his house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Is there a wall around your heart? 
The Lord desires for that wall to come down. Maybe nothing to do with possessions or riches. Maybe because of hurt. Maybe because... Maybe because there's something that holds you in bondage and sin. Maybe because of whatever the case may be for you. Maybe you think you don't measure up. The Lord loves you. Maybe you're thinking, well, you know, uh, I don't measure up, Lord, and you couldn't receive somebody like me. He receives you. The invitation is always to come. Is there a wall around your heart? And the Lord is knocking on the door of that heart saying, let me in. To come in and give you a new heart. Because all things become new as you come to Christ. As you surrender him, he wants to save you, forgive you, bless you. And for you to experience that abundant life that he has for you. So Father, we thank you that he came to save and seek that which is lost. And Father, I just pray for, for anyone who is here in this place and there's people listening on live stream. It's, it's going to be on the radio later that you've never opened your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's standing at the door. He's knocking on the door of your heart. and He's saying, I want to come in and I want to forgive you because I went to the cross. I love you. I died for your sins and I rose again that I am alive and he desires for you to receive salvation that only comes through faith. It is not earning it. You can't be worthy of it. You can't measure up to it. We all fall short. And that's why Jesus came. There was no other way but for him to be the sacrifice and the substitution for you to die for sinful humanity as your sins were placed upon him. Today is the day of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other salvation. And it is not about being religious. It's about relationship. Walking with him. And knowing him. And having a new heart and a new beginning. If that is you, today is the day of salvation. May salvation come to you on this day, to your house. As you open up your heart to Jesus. And you pray, Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I know I don't measure up. And I am a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose from the grave and you're alive because you are knocking on the door of my heart and I now open up my heart for you to sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for dying for me and I thank you for loving me and I thank you for being here this morning and speaking to me for a new beginning. And I want to know you and walk with you to live for you all the days of my life as I surrender to you now in Jesus' name. And even as Zacchaeus would be in that place where everybody's, you know, is watching them and he just got his eyes on Jesus. Listen, as we're being respectful here, if you prayed that prayer, will you just put your hand up and put it back down so I can pray for you? Anybody in this service? We do this, the invitation for you to come to Christ. You're saying, I don't care. I've come to Jesus. I made that decision. I'm declaring if you're out in a coffee shop, you can raise your hand. If you're on 
live stream, give us a call this week. And we're not going to prolong it. Anybody at all. Okay. And maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you've been away and the walls have been put up for whatever reason. Just maybe the cares of this world have really occupied. You've been distracted. You've drifted away. Maybe there's hurts. Maybe there's whatever. And the Lord is calling you to himself. Father, I pray that they would know that you love them. You're not angry with them. But you're continually desiring for them to come. To dine with you. To know you. To walk with you. To walk in that grace. Maybe you're feeling empty because of it. Maybe you're feeling unsatisfied. It's because you were made to worship him for his good pleasures. And you pray, Jesus, I come right now and I ask that you would just forgive me for being away. And I come to you and I ask that you would help me to know you, to walk with you, to dine with you, to live in the joy of the Lord and in his presence is fullness of joy. Lord, do you bless those that are here, that we leave here encouraged and blessed. And I thank you for this story. I thank you that you came to seek and save that which is lost. And that is us. You care for us. You know our names. You know everything about us. So may we carry on with you as we leave this place. Again, we ask that you bless every father that is here this Father's Day. And we thank you for the good father that you are in providing your son for our salvation the hope that is found in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand?